are actually given for our exhortation to teach and help us. 1 Corinthians 10.10, Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. He's referencing this very event. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition, that is for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So I'm thankful today that Grumbling and complaining is not dealt with as swiftly as it was here in this passage in Numbers, aren't you? We'd be all just consumed by plague in a moment. But nevertheless, the Scripture clearly is is trying to communicate. Just because you can do it and just because we often seem to do it, it doesn't mean that it's a good practice for us. It's not something that pleases the Lord. It's not something that brings blessing or unity into a fellowship. Complaining typically doesn't really accomplish anything positive, but it does have a lot of destructive qualities. So we see that the Lord punishes this, and Moses and Aaron have to intercede once again. But even still, 14,700 die in the plague. Now, there was several million out there in the wilderness, so this is, a really, I guess, a small sample of, of how many were there, but still a pretty profound impact. Just some ministry principles for us, and that's, Kind of what I'd like to do tonight is we'll work our way through a a passage and then kind of survey the passage itself. And then I I want to just kind of draw out some principles that I think are relevant for us in ministry today. And uh, one of the principles that I think we see here is that we need to allow the Lord to raise up and use ministry leadership that he desires in our lives. God wants to use others to minister into our lives, and he will, as in the case of Israel, he will raise up godly leadership to minister into the heart and life of the people. And so it is today. God raises up pastors, elders, teachers to minister into the life of a congregation, into the heart of people. But you have to allow that. The children of Israel, they they didn't want it. They, They were kind of rejecting this Moses and Aaron leadership, and in so doing, they were actually rejecting the Lord's opportunity to minister into their life. And this is true today. You have to allow God to use others to minister into your heart and into your life. You don't want to get to a place where you, know, you become kind of disenfranchised with the, the pastor to where you can no longer receive from him. It happens. Because pastors are imperfect. Pastors make mistakes. Pastors may, you know, Aaron and Moses were, were just men. And what happens is you get kind of maybe offended in some way or you begin to kind of become a little disenchanted with what leadership is doing. And then you're sitting in the congregation and that pastor is teaching the word and you're thinking, oh, I don't even like this guy, you know. <laughs> Look at the way he dresses, you know. What's wrong? You know, and look at the way, and, and you, become, you get this kind of little grumbling going on in your heart. And, you know, it may all be true. You know, it may be, may, it may all be true. <laughs> but what you're doing is you're actually cutting off the ministry that God has for you from His Word through the leadership that He has established to speak to your heart. So you have to look past the man and receive from the Lord through the vessel that he wants to use in your life. Here's a scripture for you, Hebrews 13, 17. 
Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, this is not those who rule over you in every area of your life, but those who have spiritual input into your life, those who have uh, spiritual uh, leadership for you that God has established in your life. Allow them that place in your life and allow them to function because they're really watching out for your souls. They're, they're interested in your spiritual well-being. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, let them do that with joy and not with grief. <laughs> Look to be a blessing in, in, the, in the fellowship. Don't look for your pastor to be like, you know, uh, having to, well, I better not go there, but uh, you want it to be something of a joy. You don't want those that are, that are ministering to you to be doing it with a sense of grief because you're causing trouble, you're rebelling, you're complaining, you're constantly challenging, looking always to second-guess God's authority. And then it just becomes, you know, very hard to, to shepherd someone like that. And so the scripture really, I, I think, gives you an, a blessing if you will allow the Lord to minister to you through imperfect vessels, but his perfect word and his perfect Holy Spirit still able to minister powerfully into your life. The other thing I noticed is that of this passage we looked at is this, this idea of standing in the gap. I mean, Aaron really literally stands in the gap between the dead and the living. And the scripture tells us that in the New Testament, we have all been called to be priests to our generation. We, all, we have something of a priestly role in our time. Uh, the priests of the Old Covenant, they were to be that mediator between the people and the Lord. Today, the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh. We live under a new covenant And in the same way, we have been given something of a priestly role in that we are to represent Christ to the people and to pray and intercede people to Christ. So I want to encourage you to consider that you too are called to stand in the gap between the living and the dead. You may be the the only one to, to stop the plague in your family. You may be the one that's called to stop the plague in your workplace, amongst your peers, your friends. Uh, God has put you strategically in a place to stand in the gap. I remind you of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. The Apostle Paul says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Listen to this language. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's Paul standing in the gap between the the living and the dead and appealing to the dead and saying, be reconciled to God. Come to Jesus because he has paid for your sins. He who was innocent, he who knew no sin has become sin for you, that you might come in relationship and have the righteousness of God. And so this standing between the dead and the living, and I, and I see just an urgency, don't you? Moses said quickly, Aaron, go run. The time is short. The plague is on. It's happening. And, you know, we could say that today, couldn't we? The time is short. The plague is happening. And it's going through our culture, our generation, our time like a wave. 
The time is short. It is, there is, I think, a, a certain urgency for us as believers to be about our Father's business, to be standing in the gap, to be interceding for the lost, and to be bringing Christ to the lost, between the living and the dead, bringing the life of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look on now to chapter 17. God deals very swiftly again with this rebellion. And now God is going to do something to kind of uh, once and for all establish this priestly ministry that he has given to Aaron. He's going to kind of reestablish it. He's already established it, but now he's going to, he, he sees that the people just can't seem to embrace it. And God is now going to give a sign to help them settle this issue in their heart. Look with me now again, chapter 17, we'll begin in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and get from them a rod from each father's house, all their leaders according to their father's houses, twelve rods, write each man's name on his rod. And you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you. God's had enough now. This has just gotten a little bit out of control. And he's saying, look, here's what we're going to do. Uh, all these people, all these people think that they too, ha- you know, should have access to this priestly ministry. They don't respect your leadership. They're questioning everything you're doing. They think you're kind of doing this, taking this all upon yourself, doing what you want. That you're not really representing God. Here's what we're going to do: get get uh, a staff, a wooden stick, you know, a staff uh, from one from every tribe of Israel. This would be twelve, including Levi and have them write their names on these rods, and then put them in the temple, or in the tabernacle. And then we're going to see, I'm going to supernaturally reveal, out of those twelve, which one I'm going to choose. So God sets something up of of a test, an opportunity to show himself strong, and to choose his own leadership, and to rid himself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. Okay, looking on now, verse 6. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece for each leader according to their father's houses, twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, The rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. Wow, kind of cool. These rods go in, they're all just dead sticks. But Aaron's rod, Aaron's staff, breaks forth in blossom, in bud, in ripe almonds. You imagine? Take the thing out. Oh, look. It's kind of, you know, pick a nice almond off of that thing. 
And uh, this is now done before all of the leaders, and it, it says that they saw Aaron's and, and, of course, their own rod. Imagine the feeling they got when they handed their rod back to him. Oh, just a dead stick, you know. But look at Aaron's in full bloom and blossom. Of course, some symbolism there speaks something of the resurrection, doesn't it? This life from death, this just wooden dead stick, but God is able to bring it to life. And so it speaks of his nature, it speaks of the resurrection, but it also confirms, in this case, his choice for the priesthood. God gets to choose. This is something that God has maintained under his own counsel, his own sovereign will. God determines how those that serve him will serve him, in what role, in what capacity, in what way that he has called and destined them to serve him. So God makes his choice. Listen, Aaron, we'd already seen that Aaron had some of his own problems. Aaron was not a better man. Aaron was not more deserving than any of the other men. Aaron was nothing more in the flesh. He was just a man, but he was the man that God had called to this role of the priesthood. And this is what troubled, you see, the the children of Israel, because Aaron was just a man. Who does he think he is? And in fact, you know, they might have even, some of the men might have even thought, you know, I'm even a better man than him. If anybody should be priest, I should be priest. Or or somebody from my tribe, I know guys better than Aaron. This is the kind of thinking that goes on. But God is demonstrating that it's not by the righteousness of men. It's not by the, the accomplishments of man or the, 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 uh, you know, the resume of a man. It's by the choice and election of God. God calls. God decides. And it's by grace, not by works. Nothing that Aaron had earned. It was simply the grace, the gift of God to Aaron. Not that these other tribes had no place in ministry. They did. Each of them had responsibility. Each of them had ministry that God had for them. But they wanted Aaron's ministry. And that is something that God had not chosen for them. So uh, we see this sign. Uh, Not only this sign, but it would maintain a sign throughout their, their pilgrimage. Look at verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Thus Moses, excuse me, thus did Moses, just as the Lord commanded him, so he did. And so the children of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Surely we will die. Surely we perish. We all perish. Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Sure shall we all utterly die. So Moses is instructed by the Lord, listen, I want you to keep this, this Aaron's rod in the tabernacle. It will remain as a, you know, a standard that this is my choice, that Aaron is the high priest. Anybody gets any of these ideas again, all they have to do is remember this event, and it will be there for them to, to see Aaron's rod in the tabernacle. And so God kind of settles these complaints. He does it to protect the people. From the judgment against rebellion, he does it to establish Aaron's ministry. But we see the people even now, even at the end of that, now they don't know what to do. Oh, we're all going to die. God must be so mad at us by now. We're all going to perish. I mean, they go from one extreme to the other, right? We think we can be priests to, oh my God, if we even come near the tabernacle, I'm sure we're going to be dead. 
So these were hearts, listen, these were hearts that were just discontent. Uh, The New Testament talks about uh, lives that are blown to and fro by every chance wind of doctrine, just unstable in their own place in the Lord, unstable in relationship with Him, discontent with God's role and provision for them, calling for them. And, uh, and so you see this, just this instability in the heart of the people. And God is having to deal uh, really very forcefully uh, with them. And, and again, just some ministry principles that certainly we can glean from this. And I've kind of been saying it already. And that is that the Lord is the one who ultimately calls. The Lord is the one that establishes gifts and ministries. And he gives to each man, each woman uniquely. All of us are called to serve him in some capacity. And it's not for us to try and, you know, usurp someone else's gift and calling, but rather be faithful in those things that God would call us to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. Talking about uh, the Apostle Paul using the the metaphor of a a human body in representing the church of Jesus Christ. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as what? He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? So God is placing the members of the body as He pleases. He places them. We don't place ourselves. I want to do that. I want to do that minute. I want to be this. I want to be that in the Lord. This is not a career fair, you know, when you come to, 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 to seek the Lord. Lord, what would you have me to do? Here am I, Lord. Send me. You're the potter. I'm the clay. You shape me. You make me into the vessel of your choosing and use me according to your purpose, by your grace, for your glory. This is the heart of ministry. This is the heart of serving the Lord. It's not coming in and deciding and, and placing yourself in the body. I don't have time, but you can, I'll reference it for you. You can look at it yourself. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about, again, this very thing that Jesus Christ, he himself has placed gifts into the body of Christ to be used for his purpose to build up and strengthen and mature the body. He says that he's given you know, some to be teachers, some evangelists, some apostles for the equipping of the saints, all of the saints for the work of ministry. We are all called to contribute, not to complain, but to contribute together into the work of God's kingdom as a body and, a, and, a, and, and members one of another. So the Lord does the calling and the establishing of how he wants us to minister. Secondly, the Lord must empower ministry. It, ministry, if it's going to be of the Lord, it has to be a supernatural work of his spirit. We see that here with Aaron, don't we? Aaron could do nothing to establish his ministry. His stick was just as dead as everybody else's in that tabernacle. God had to work. God is the one that establishes and gives the grace and the power to accomplish his work in the earth. And this is true today. No human effort. No human strength or wisdom, no amount of degree before or after your name uh, will replace or can in any way substitute what only the Spirit of God can impart. 
It has to come from him. You remember Paul talking to the Corinthians. He said, you know, guys, you see your calling. Not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise according to the flesh. Because God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God's not looking for the, the strong man. God's not looking for the man who, for the wise man. God's looking for the humble man. The heart that is available. The heart that says, Lord, use me in any way that you would desire. And God will. And God will empower you. You don't want to be leaning on your own strength. You need to be leaning on him. You remember John chapter 15. Uh, Let's go ahead and look at that. We have time. Turn with me in your Bibles, John chapter 15. I quote this a lot. It's good that we look at it on occasion, not just by reference, but actually look at the text with me. We'll be back to numbers shortly. John chapter 15, and we see verses 1 through 8. Just follow with me. Jesus speaking to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because the word which I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Ministry must be empowered by the Lord. And it comes through this relationship of abiding in Jesus Christ. You can't, it's not something that you get one day. You know, it's not like a magic wand God gives you. Okay, here's all the power you're going to need for ministry for the rest of your life. Take it, be careful with it, and go do ministry. And you have this power, you know, and you can call it down and call it out, and it's just with you. Jesus said, that's not the way it works. It's more like a branch and a vine. There is this constant connection. And the only way you can really bear fruit is to stay connected to the vine. Because it is ultimately the vine that is providing all that the branch needs to bear the fruit. The fruit starts and comes from the vine, not the branch. You cut a branch off from its vine, it's not going to keep bearing fruit. It's going to dry up, wither, and die. So the key to this being empowered for ministry, for those things that God would call you to do, those things that God wants to do in your life, transformation, changes in your life, these things happen as you abide in the vine. That means staying in relationship with Him. What does that mean? What does that look like? It means prayer. It means fellowship. It means time in His Word. It means an, a living, active relationship with God. Feeding your, 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 your spirit man, if you will. Nourishing that, 
that inner man with the Word of God, finding fellowship and connection with, with the body of Christ, something that you draw from the body, something you contribute to the body. And this prayer life, actively communicating with God, worshiping Him, confessing your sins, staying close to the Lord. Don't let it be so you, know, you check in with the Lord every other week. Oh yeah, it's time to get back to the Lord. That, that's the kind of fruitfulness you're going to have. Your fruit's going to be very weak and puny. You're not going to have bounty. You're not going to have the fullness until you learn that steady abiding and that constant relationship with Him. And this is the Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. Even almond, fresh almonds from a dead, from a dead uh, staff, as we see in Aaron's case. Okay, back to Numbers. Ministry must be empowered by the Lord. Numbers 18. We see that uh, in 17, God reestablishes Aaron in his ministry, reestablishes the spiritual authority, and now we'll see that God is also going to implement provision, support for the ministry. Um, we, won't, uh, we won't look at all of this. Um, well, I guess we will, but I'll kind of break it up uh, we won't read every, every single verse, but these first seven verses we will read together. Follow with me. I'm in Numbers 18. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. Also bring with you your brethren of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. They shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary and the altar lest they die, they and you also. They shall be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle, but an outsider shall not come near you. And you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar, that there may be no more wrath on the children of Israel. Behold, I myself have taken your brethren the Levites from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you, given by the Lord, to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Therefore you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil and you shall serve. I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. God's now giving some instructions to Aaron and his sons. Aaron and his lineage were called to the priesthood. Aaron was from the tribe of Levi. So all priests would ultimately also be Levites. But not all Levites were priests. Only those of Aaron's lineage were the priests. And so God is saying, okay, Aaron, you and your sons, you will take care of the priestly duties, the offering of the sacrifices, the going into the Holy of Holies once a year as the high priest, the ministering and atoning for the people and their sins. This will be your constant work and ministry to this people. I am bringing also your brethren of the tribe of Levi, your cousins, if you will, 
and that whole tribe is going to come alongside and assist you in the work. Because you're, you're going to be busy doing the, the priest duties. You're not going to be able to take care of all the other things that you'll need for your, your family, for, the, for the, you know, just the upkeep of the tabernacle. When the, tabernacle had, when the camp moved, the tabernacle had to be loaded. And there wasn't enough priests to do all of the work. So God is saying, I'm bringing helpers. And this is, again, a, a wonderful ministry principle that God raises up help for the ministry. God calls helpers. And I like what he says there in verse 6. I'm giving them to you as a gift. These, your brothers, Levi, these helpers, these guys that are going to be serving with you in ministry. These are not, I'm not calling them, I'm not giving them to you as servants. These are not your underlings. These are a gift. These are your brothers. And they're coming to you as a gift. Boy, that's a good heart for ministers and those that serve in ministry. Those that come alongside and help us in ministry. They are not our, you know, underlings. They are our brothers, our sisters, and they are gifts from God. And we need to treat them as such. Yes, it may be that they've called, they're being called to help you in a certain ministry, in a certain responsibility that you have. But they are not to be treated as, you know, something less spiritually or something less important in the kingdom. This is their role. This is their calling. God says they're a gift to you to help you accomplish my work in the nation. And I think you could probably, the New Testament even takes that even to uh, the employer-employee relationship and speaks of employers, especially employers in Christ. You know, don't, don't, don't act like you're the big boss at work. Maybe you are. Maybe you have a responsibility. And maybe you do have to give instruction. But remember, you can treat people with a sense of you know, respect. You can treat them with a sense of Christian value, especially those that are in the faith with you. So whether it be in church, whether it be in family, whether it be in the workplace, I think that's a good principle. God will bring help. Ministry has to have help. <laughs> Ministry needs help. Jesus said, the fields are white for harvest, the workers are few. Pray that God would send workers. Boy, we need workers. God, send workers. But we need to remember that they are gifts from the Lord, not just people for us to kind of control and manipulate and use for our own advantage. And not only are these helpers a gift from the Lord, but I like there what he says. Look look again in verse 7. And you shall serve, the last part of verse 7, I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service. The helpers in the ministry are a gift. The ministry itself is a gift. Church, it's a privilege to serve the Lord. It is a gift to you if God gives a place, an opportunity for you to be of service in His kingdom. It is a privilege you are not doing the Lord a big favor. Okay, God. You know, I hope you appreciate this. You know, there's so many other things I could be doing, Lord. You know, you know what? The, the Lord's not interested in that kind of an attitude. You know? In fact, the Lord would say, you know, just whatever those other things that you could be doing, go do them. Because it's a privilege to be engaged in the work of eternity for the kingdom. Maybe there are a lot of other things that we all have to do, but nothing is as important, nothing is as valuable eternally 
as those things that the Lord would entrust you to do. Be faithful with that and don't do it grudgingly. Do it with a sense of joy and thankfulness. And I think that's what God's saying to to Aaron and his family. Guys, this is a gift. Don't ever get into your priestly duties. Oh, man, this offering these sacrifices is such a hassle. You know, I wanted to be out, you know, whatever they were doing in those days for entertainment. You know, I wanted to be out playing with a sling, you know, or doing something else. <laughs> there's no TV, there's no, no iPod, no nothing to, you know, but you know what I'm saying. God said, look, this is a gift. Treat it with that kind of value. Treat it with that kind of heart. I'm just going to summarize as we work our way and finish up chapter 18. I won't, we don't want to look at every, every verse. It goes into quite a bit of detail. But uh, let me just give you some of the highlights. So you see there, first of all, God provides the helpers for the ministry. God is also going to provide uh, the, the financial, if you will, support for the ministry. In verses 8 through 20, God is going to describe the first fruit offerings that would be given to the priests. We'll just look at a few verses. Look at verse 8. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, here I, my, uh, here I myself have also given you charge of my heave offerings, all the holy gifts of the children of Israel. I have given them as a portion to you and your sons as an ordinance forever. The first fruits will come in to you, uh, uh, Aaron, you and your family. Look, skip down to verse 12. All the best of the oil. All the best of the new wine and the grain, their first fruits, which they offered to the Lord, I have given them to you. God is taking care of his ministers. He's taking care of his servants. Look at verse 19. All the heave offerings of the holy things, which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. So God is going to take care of the priests. The priests are going to be doing the work of ministry. They're going to be interceding for the people, offering sacrifices, making atonement for sin. And they're going to be teaching the people the law and and instructing the people in the things of God. And so for that, they're not going to be able to go out and and bring in a crop and and raise flocks and, and, and normal sustenance that they would normally have opportunity to do. So God is saying, I'm going to take care of that. They're going to bring a heave offering. Heave just simply means lifting up a portion of their crop, a portion of their, their in, income would be given to the Lord, and that would be given for the sake of taking care of the priests. This is God's economy for ministry, that ministry, those that are serving in a full-time capacity like the priests, they would receive uh, benefits from the rest of the nation, and that would be the part of the nation's ministry contribution and participation in giving to the work of the Lord. So they, there's this kind of we need each other relationship. We need that priest. They're doing what he's doing, interceding for us, making uh, atonement for us. We need the priests ministering into our you know into our spiritual lives. And so we'll take care of them concerning natural things, 
God setting this up, taking care. I like what he says there, you know, that uh, um, the idea of uh, the very finest of the oil and, and so forth, the very first fruits. You know, God's saying, look, you're not going to, by serving me, you're not just going to be getting the leftovers. You know, the stuff that nobody wants, the, the end of the, of the crop. You know, this stuff's pretty rotten. Let's give it to the priests. No, God wanted them to have something from the first fruits. Because first of all, it was an honoring to the Lord. And second of all, it was to take care of those that God had enlisted in his service. Um, this is taking care of the priests. Well, also the tribe of Levi. They would also have some opportunity. And I'll come back and look at some of these verses, but let, let's get through this. And then uh, again, we'll look at some ministry principles. Verses 21 through 24, there would be a tithe taken for the Levites. So Aaron, the priests, are taken care of. The rest of the tribe of Levi would also be recipients of blessing. Look at verse 21. Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And then he goes on to describe that through uh, the next few verses. Um, so this was a tithe. You guys are going to, the Levites, you guys are going to be helping Aaron by doing all of the other duties that, that uh, we're assigning to you. So you also are going to receive blessing from the rest of the nation. They would be giving uh, the, t- the nation a tithe. The tithe means a tenth. So a tenth of the income from the nation would come in to take care of the tribe of Israel. But not only were the Levites going to receive this tithe, they would then tithe off of that tithe onto Aaron and his family. So Aaron would receive the first fruits, but that alone would not be enough to sustain him. So he would also receive something from, a, from what the Levites received. They would receive this tenth. The Levites would then take a tenth of the tenth they received and pass that on to Aaron. You see that in verses 25 through 32. Just look at 25 and 26. You'll get the idea. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak thus to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord a tenth of the tithe. So a tithe on the tithe. So all would be taken care of. All of the ministers would be ministered to. And this would be part of the natural economy for the work of the ministry. What are, again, some ministry principles that we can glean here? Well, the one that we often quote, uh, I I don't know if it's from Chuck Smith or or somewhere else, but I, I think I've heard it from him, where God guides, God provides. So when God is working and using people in the life of ministry, he will also provide for ministry. And, you know, it kind of makes you wonder when you hear some of these desperate ministries, you know, on the radio or on TV, we need to hear from you this week or we're not going to make it. You know, my thought is, well, (laughs) if you're not going to make it, you shouldn't make it. Because if if God is in it, then he will provide for it. You won't have to plead. You won't have to gimmick. You won't have to hype. You just do what God has called you to do, and God will provide for that work. God will sustain the work that he is in. God is not broke. God is not. Now, he uses people. He uses his, his, his children to nourish and take care of his ministers. 
but ultimately it's God working and moving on the heart of his people. And uh, where God guides, he will provide. And uh, like I said, I like that what he had mentioned earlier in verse 12, that he would be giving the very best to his, his uh, ministers, taking care of his ministers. Now, they would get something of the, some of the best of that first fruit. It, it didn't necessarily mean it was the most. It was not necessarily the most bountiful, but it was definitely of quality. So the Lord is not promising that you're just going to have, you know, in ministry, you'll have more than you could ever need, but God is going to give you what you need, and it'll be of good quality. It'll sustain you. It won't be leftovers. It won't be, you know, something that you can't make it on. God is going to take care of his children as they serve him in ministry. And this principle carries into the New Testament, uh, not necessarily the tithe. I'll talk about that a little bit as we close here tonight. But uh, I do want to quote from you first Tim, for you, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Paul giving Timothy instruction for those serving within the church there in, in Ephesus. He says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So this principle of giving and taking care of ministers and ministry carries on into the New Testament. This could sound a little self-serving of me tonight, and I have no agenda other than to, to teach you this principle. This is the way God works. This is the way He works in His kingdom. He invites you to be a, a partner with Him in the work of ministry. So we want to be faithful in that. We want to be diligent in that, because it's, what, it's how God works in funding ministry, and, and it needs to be supported by God's people. Uh, I do not believe that uh, in the New Testament that we are under the same kind of um, compulsive giving, compulsory giving, that is described in the Old Testament. It's something that's debated by scholars even today. Does the tithe at 10%, does it carry over into the New Testament? As we look through the New Testament, we find no mention of a tithe. We don't see anywhere in the New Testament church this idea of collecting tithes. Now, we do see churches that are supported. We saw Paul giving Timothy instruction. Listen, you need to take care of the ministers, those that are teaching, laboring in the word. The, uh, you know, the laborer is worthy of his hire. So definitely the principle of supporting ministry, giving, this is still within the New Testament covenant. But the tithe, that was something given under the law, that that regulation of saying, you know, it's got to be 10%. Now, you know, I, I find even myself sometimes, you know, we've we kind of gotten in the habit, you know, uh, let's pray for the tithes and offerings, you know. And I, sometimes it slips out. I really should just be saying, let's just pray for the offering. But it's just kind of become something that we've adapted into the New Testament. Now, some believe that that tithe does, that, that, that that's really something that carries right on in to the obligation of the New Testament believer. I personally don't see that in the New Testament, but I do see the principle of giving, and I do see the principle of being faithful in your giving. So we are called by the New Testament to give, to give generously, and to give cheerfully. The tithe maybe, you know, I think that's a good guide. It's something that you might consider as a, as a principle. It was certainly something that God, as you see here, used quite regularly in the Old Testament. 
And you might consider that to be part of your giving percentage, but you're not under any obligation. What you're under obligation to do is to determine in your own heart and give cheerfully whatever God would have you to give. Some give more, some give less. I'll say this, that we live under a better covenant than the old. We live under the blessings of the grace and the new covenant. It's hard to believe that that those who would be recipients of, of a better covenant this covenant of grace that we would imagine that somehow we, we should be participating and giving less than those who, you know, uh, lived under the old covenant, which has been done away with. So, again, there's no, no pressure for giving. I think it's, and of course, everybody's in a different place financially, what people can afford. And I think that it's between you and the Lord. But clearly, giving is part of the New Testament principle as well, and we'll close on this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we want to be giving to the work of God as we, as we purpose in our heart, something it's between you and the Lord, something you should pray something you should consider. You can weigh these passages. You can take and glean certain principles from the old. But ultimately, the new covenant calls us to be generous and to give cheerfully. And if you can't give cheerfully, don't give it. You should be able to give what you can cheerfully give in your heart. There there were times in the New Testament where Paul talks about brothers and churches that gave sacrificially, even beyond what they could, but they just were so... Uh, cheerful to give to the work. They felt like it was such uh, an important part of their Christian faith was to be partaking of a work. So there may be times when the Lord would would call you to give sacrificially. There may be times when God just tells you simply to give. The Holy Spirit may put it in your heart. Just give to this work, this missionary, this ministry. God will prompt your heart. Let each man purpose in his heart. And then let him give, uh, not grudgingly or of necessity, but give cheerfully. Do it in, the, in faith. Do it as a part and expression of your worship to the Lord. And uh, in that, God will bless you. And remember, you are just stewards of whatever resource you have. And that's the principle that God is teaching through the Old Covenant as well. All of these crops, all of this harvest, it comes from the Lord. We're just stewards of those resources. These things all belong to him. That's my money. No, it's the Lord's. He's entrusted it to you. He's given you the the ability to work, the ability to earn, the ability to prosper. And now God is calling you to be a faithful steward of it. Okay, Lord, my hands are open. How do you want? Of course, I have to make a living. I have to provide for my own needs, my family. But Lord, beyond that, how would you have me? use the resources that you've given to me. So that's between you and the Lord. And we're we're thankful today that um, for this church, all the needs have been met. God God truly has provided. He's guided and he has provided. And uh, we've been very, very blessed that way. And uh, we pray and trust that he will continue to take care of us. He's he's worked miraculously in some some cases, (laughs) really uh, just beyond... Uh, anything that we could have imagined, not not so much in like large monies coming in, but just you know some other opportunities, uh, what we have, what we enjoy here in this building, 
and uh, what you know the rent that we're able to enjoy. God has found other ways to care and provide, but also through the generous giving of his people. So we're very thankful to God's faithfulness, and uh, we trust that he will continue to provide for the ministry work that he wants to accomplish here among us, and we are all co-laborers in that by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your ministry to us tonight in your word. We thank you for the principles that come to us, God, as we study these accounts of the nation of Israel, mistakes that they made, Lord, some of the same mistakes that we make today, some of the principles that you were endeavoring to teach them as a people to walk by faith, to, to support ministry, to, to uh, be willing to allow God's authority through his vested ministers to, to function. Lord, those principles still guide us today in the life of the New Testament church. And we pray that we would be faithful with those things that you've called us to do. We pray that our heart and that our attitude, Lord, would be good one towards another. And God, we pray that you would continue to lead ministry in this church, that you would continue to lead ministry in the life of your saints. Lord, each and every one called to ministry, each and every one called in some way to be about the Father's business. And that's my prayer tonight, Lord, as we glean these principles that you, somehow, Lord, Holy Spirit, you would, you would map them out in our own lives. And we would come away tonight with a sense of some instruction, some encouragement, some enlightenment, Lord. And I pray, God, that you're... Your grace will provide those details in each heart.